Hello, everyone. Okay, so we're going to just get started into part one of the Q&As, but <clears throat> before we do, I want to just take a few minutes, and it might seem a little rambly, but I think it's important. Um, I think before I start just randomly answering questions, great questions, everyone, by the way, um, I think I need to sort of spell out a bit of my perspective around these things because I think some of my answers might frustrate some of you, and I think some of them maybe will intrigue some of you, but it all comes from the same place, and that's my foundational way of perceiving health and wellness. Um, I don't really take things at face value. Um, I'm sure many of you know that, long-term readers. Um, I like to question things and roll them over and really try and understand motivations behind themes. And I'm always and constantly looking for patterns. Um, I've learned over the years that we, when we can stop reacting to details and the minutia of things, and start looking for the underlying patterns, we'll see them again and again and start being able to recognize them sooner. So what I mean by that, uh, we're, we see patterns all the time with current events, with uh, the cycles in what the media wants us to look at, uh, with different introductions to health scares or environmental scares or that you know we see what we see is sort of a, a dribbling in of information just little drops here and there to get us used to an idea and then it starts getting louder and louder and then next thing you know you have some sort of full-blown crisis that everyone is just taken you know, just shocks everybody and everyone's taken aback and feel like they have to react immediately to the latest thing. But you also see that in health. And, you know, these big companies that have been doing this for a long time are pretty savvy. They're not looking at advertising their latest pharma drug in magazines, although I'm sure they still do that, or on TV in some countries where they allow that. But they've really infiltrated and are masters, truly masters at shaping narratives. And a lot of us now are getting our information, especially alternative information, you know, if you're not going to just go to the doctor and do whatever the doctor says, hook, line, and sinker, but you want to think for yourself and, and, you know, learn from different resources. And, you know, there's still a little bit of that kind of information available on the internet. I think that's going to be coming to an end very quickly. <clears throat> and that's not my opinion. That's listening to minds much brighter than my own. But, you know, if we are, I think we have to all be savvy and understand that the information that may be your favorite podcaster or um, social media account or influencer or even doctor, whatever, are, are sharing, um, 
You know, it doesn't mean that there's malicious intent, but there is definitely infiltration from the pharmaceutical companies into into these realms as well. As soon as the pharmaceutical companies see that there's any sort of area in which to make money, they will wholeheartedly start putting money towards drugs and treatment therapies in that area. So I'm saying all this because I have noticed being someone that always looks for patterns. um, I've been passionate about health since I was, you know, my early 20s. And uh, so that's well over 30 years now. And um, I have seen things come and go and come and go and come and go. And again and again, it's always sort of the same introduction. And now it seems with the internet and social media, it's the same thing. It's just compounded and it's saturated and it's expedited. So, you know, maybe it would have taken them a few years before to get things into our psyche. And now it can be done in a matter of weeks because that's just the way the human brain works. When we hear things again and again, they stick in our brains and health is very suggestible. We're very, you know, even though we all like to think that we're, you know, independent thinkers and and we're not easily influenced, um, we're still susceptible. Um, And they know that and they know exactly how to how to capitalize on that. So I think it's really important that when we hear things again and again and again, and you start hearing, um, you know, some sort of topic of health, again and again and again that you really notice the pattern of that and question it and question what the motivations are of it it may be that your favorite podcaster and i have them too um you know or you know maybe clinician or some sort of um therapist in whatever realm of alternative health they're just a person too and they may have been influenced by whatever the topic du jour is themselves and they may have started digging into it and that doesn't mean that they have um you know it doesn't mean that they maybe have the understanding of the origins of these things and who may be looking to manipulate information for profit or what the the uh, potential ramifications of these things are a lot of you know it's it Like I said, it's human nature to get excited about these things. And all of us who I think to some degree or another are suffering from the onslaught of toxins in our environment, in our food supply, in our water. Um, A lot of us have been vaccinated, some of us more than others, especially if anyone has military service. A lot of times we've been vaccinated even more. Um, A lot of us have been on antibiotics. So, you know, we're probably not as robust and vibrant as our ancestors were living in cleaner environments without these toxic onslaughts. And so everyone could do with feeling a little better. You know, maybe we're not sleeping as well, that sort of thing. So it's tempting And I think a lot of us, when we hear the next thing, get excited that this might just be the one. This might be it. This might solve our problems. And we end up being like rats on a wheel, just sort of 
around and around and around. And every now and then we think, oh, you know, this might be the one thing. And I really, without being a Debbie Downer, just want to express my <laughs> uh, learned experience, which is that I've, it's very rare for a person to find that one thing. It's, it's usually a constellation of things. And in that constellation of things are foundational things. And when I was working um, in private practice as a nutritionist, the one thing that I saw repeatedly was that people, by and large, want to focus on the minutia over the basic fundamentals. And I think the reason for that is when we can hone in on something small or maybe specific, that's what I should say, something specific, um, we can put our efforts towards that one thing, sort of with blinders on, and we don't have to address the ingrained daily habits that have brought us to that place. And a lot of times the minutia is just symptoms. And they're all symptoms of something that is disrupting our natural inclination towards health. So when I get asked questions about the smaller things, my, my response is always the same. I, I rarely will even talk about that small thing. I want to talk to people about their diets. I want to talk to them about their environments. I want to talk to them about the EMFs in their environments. I want to talk to them about their movement, about how much time they spend outside, about what their home materials are like. And, and I can hear like the eyeballs rolling, but there's no point to the other stuff if all of those things are not securely and routinely practiced and lived by. That's the truth of it. And that's boring. And it, sometimes it seems too simple, um, but it's the truth of it, honestly. So I'm going to, with that big preamble, just jump into the idea or to the theme of hormone replacement. I think the two, this is a great example of what to illustrate what I've just been talking about. So I had quite a few questions about hormone replacement therapy. And when I hear that, all these things come into my mind. And I'm just going to open the gates of that mind, as cobwebby and crickety as it can be, and just share with you how, um, where my mind goes when I get asked these questions with the hope that um, maybe there'll be a, uh, you know, a little crumb in here somewhere where you can start using this as a bit of a template for how you approach these things. Because many of the questions were about hormone replacement, but specifically, you know, some, some of you had said that uh, you had heard on a podcast or you'd been hearing more and more about hormone replacement therapy and some of you are suffering from hormone-related issues, perimenopause, menopause, 
in my real life, I'm knowing more and more men that are going on testosterone replacement therapy. And so when I hear that, because I'm looking for patterns, I am thinking, hmm, you know, who makes money doing this? It hasn't been so far away. And I know many of my readers, many of you, um, had a grand awakening or questioned deeply the uh, motivations of the pharmaceutical companies during the last few years. And I think that woke a lot of people up to how diabolical (laughs) these companies can be. But now when it comes to other things, we're allowing those pharmaceutical companies to create products that we're taking into our bodies. And I wonder how many people understand that when every time we take a drug, this little thing happens called side effects, which are not side effects at all, actually. There's no such thing as side effects. This is an effect of the drug. A a drug is not a precision missile that goes directly to where it needs to go. It goes into our body and it takes multi-systems to bring it to where it's going and Then what happens after that? How does our body metabolize it? What happens to those metabolites? What happens to all of the the ramifications of it going into our eliminatory organs like our kidneys and our liver? Um, What are the long-term effects? There's all sorts of things. And then what about the other things that come with that drug that we're not privy to? There's a million questions there. And so let's just go through a little fun exercise here, I hope. Um, for hormone replacement therapy, HRT, as it's called. Uh, I've been hearing it too. Even on my podcast, I've been hearing a lot of women talking about how terrible perimenopause is, how terrible menopause is. And I just like to start off by saying that in most countries in the world, they don't even have words for menopause. It's just not a thing. So right there, like we can just stop right there and ask ourselves what is going on with us in North America, especially, and I'm going to put a link to a map to uh, illustrate what I'm talking about here, where uh, hormone replacement therapy is saturated in North America, just a little bit in Europe, saturated in North America and hardly anywhere else in the world, although it's growing in Asia. But that can be for different reasons too, which the link will explain that. So what's going on here in North America? Well, we have um, this wonderful little chemical called atrazine. Have you heard of it? Atrazine is actually changes the sex of frogs and uh, it's in our water supply, and it's illegal in Europe. They don't use it there. We have uh, rampant use of all sorts of other chemicals, like I'm thinking ractopamine, which is in pork meat, which changes the meat leaner that's given right before slaughter, a couple weeks before slaughter, to modify the metabolism of the pigs to change fat into lean to make them more valuable. All sorts of things like that. Glyphosate saturated grains. But we also have like 
look around. We're, especially in the U.S., you're a very concentrated population. We have EMFs. We have all sorts of environmental things going on, but we also have incredible marketing and are very susceptible to um, the the themes of social media and and uh, our favorite influencers and health gurus. And so if we are the greatest users of hormone replacement therapy, should we not be asking what is happening here that's not happening in other places? And then beyond that, should we not be asking how it is that a normal function of a woman's body as she ages and a man's and a man's because there's a lot of men going on testosterone testosterone replacement therapy TRT what's happening that our bodies are not able to produce these hormones for us anymore in the case of women with menopause it's normal that our hormones shift but should we feel lousy and should we be miserable and hot and having all these other um, conditions? Well, other women in the world don't. So, so the answer is no. And up until the last few years, when these drugs were um, started being peddled, women, it wasn't such a big deal. But now there's books and there's podcasts and articles and news articles, and it's just saturating the market. So when our bodies are not functioning as nature or God or whatever word you want to use created us to be, I believe that that's because there's interference that's pulling us away from our health. And it's the interference that we need to be looking for, not the symptom of that interference. So in order to do that, we have to look at the totality of our health. And, and that means that being really honest with ourselves. So, you know, if I'm being miserable and moody and I'm having hot swings because I have perimenopause, can I honestly say that there was no issues before that time? Was I in really great health? And just sitting down and doing a full and raw accounting you know, of ourselves and our health. Am I sleeping properly? What's my circadian rhythm daily habits like? Am I drinking coffee? Am I drinking, am I eating too much sugar? Am I eating too many grains? Am I eating refined foods? Am I going to sleep too late, eating too close to bed? All the things that we sort of get away with have days of reckoning in us. And I think that that's where we need to be spending our time because a healthy body is not going to be taken out because you're about to turn 50. It's, it's a ridiculous premise. So I also just want to say on more of an emotional, spiritual level is our society's worship of youth and disregard for older adults. And I wonder how much of what we're seeing has to do with that. I'm seeing women uh, 
on the internet that, you know, the ones that are celebrated are always celebrated because they look so young. And even some of the podcasters that I watch, you know, they're wearing clothes like a 20-year-old girl would wear. And they clearly have plastic surgery, which is fine, but it's all in this exaggerated sort of blown out lips, um, lifted up faces, uh, hair extensions or wigs to really emulate a younger woman. And that's when they seem to be most complimented. And a lot of people revere that. And so I wonder how much of this keeping a horm- my hormones so that they are where they were when I was 30 and I can feel like I was when I was 30 is a resistance to the transition of moving from maiden to matriarch to crone or just from embodying a different time in my life, which also happens to be a different body. And maybe we're supposed to feel changes. Maybe we're supposed to be going in and evolving into a different way of sort of being in this world. Something I think about a lot too. What is the value of an older woman or a man in a society that doesn't value wisdom and life experience? So lastly, I think, I hope, is um, we need to ask where these medicines are coming from. And we need to ask the side effects. Um, We need to understand the motivations. And uh, for that, I just did a super quick search. Um, There's a site called Grandview Research, and I'll put the link so that all of you can read through this. But it's a market analysis report on hormone replacement therapy market size, and it's from 2023. And I'm just going to read you a couple stats out of this. So it says the global hormone replacement therapy market size was valued at U.S. dollars $21.28 billion in 2022, and it has a compounded annual growth rate of 6.6% expected from 2023 to 2030. So that means that um, in 2030, okay, I'm just going to skip ahead to this just one second. So, um, It says that based on disease type, hormone replacement therapy has been segmented into menopause, uh, male hypogonadism, hypothyroidism, growth hormone deficiency, and hypoparathyroidism. But it was the menopause segment which dominated the market in 2022 with a 44.44% share. Uh, According to the UN's 2020 global estimates, 958 million women were aged 50 and above. By 2050, this number is expected to reach 1.65 billion. Millions of women are likely to spend more than one third of their lives after menopause in the future. So this is a very 
big, booming, growing market. And if they can convince women that these feelings that they're feeling is a disease, which they call it many times in this market report, the disease of menopause, uh, this is a tidy little this is a tiny little figure that they're going to be raking in. There's a chart here that shows that 39.1% of the market for menopause therapy belongs to North America. Now, here's the interesting parts. The key companies that benefit from hormone replacement therapy, I think you can guess who they are, the key players. Some of the key players in the hormone replacement therapy market are Bayer, Eli Lilly, Pfizer, Merck and Company, Novo Nordisk, you get the idea, all the big pharma companies. What segment accounted for the largest hormone replacement therapy market share? North America, as I already said. What is the market growth? Well, it's going to be worth $35.6 billion by 2030. So if you think that the masterminds behind the COVID vaccine are not manipulating our health in many other different ways, and not just through your doctor, these people aren't dumb. The people that are into functional medicine and wanting to feel young and great are not exactly lining up at the medical doctor's office. These are people looking at functional medicine doctors, alternative therapies. And so if you think that these pharmaceutical companies don't know that and haven't infiltrated well, I think that um, that might be a little bit of a naive idea. So I'm using all of this in this big, long preamble to just say that when we hear of these things, and it doesn't matter who it's coming from, I think we need to back up and take a wider view of where and from who and looking for patterns and considering that maybe these things that we're dealing with, these small things, are actually just symptoms. And that makes a profound difference in how we approach our health. And it makes a meaningful difference because then we're actually doing something that affects all systems. We are not machines. We cannot target one thing. If you think that taking hormone replacement to you know, bring up your progesterone or lower your estrogen or whatever it is that the goal is, and it's not going to affect your liver or your kidneys or your heart or your metabolism. It's just that's it's a foolish way of looking at things. We are not little compartments. We're a whole being, and so you know you may feel better for a time, but what will happen after? Finally, I just would like to say, as someone who was on T3 at the behest of a functional medicine doctor that I was seeing, there is a dependency that comes from that. And for anyone who maybe was reading or maybe has read the book that I recommended a, a week or two ago when I was in my essay getting ready uh, called One Minute After, we should all be cognizant 
of dependencies on pharmaceutical medications, especially now. I think we're moving into a time of systems collapse and we need our health and we need our autonomy and independence more than ever. And do you want to be dependent on some drug to be physically strong and sound in order to function if that drug can be taken away suddenly. When I <clears throat> was taking my T3 medication um, for low T3, by the way, uh, there was a shortage. This was a few years back. There was a shortage and I couldn't get it. And so I had to drive three hours to a compounding pharmacy. My doctor was calling around and found a compounding pharmacy that would make some for me. But they, um, and I, oh my goodness, I can't remember. I think I paid $600 or something. It was ridiculous for a medication that's, you know, should have been maybe 40. Um, but it was a big eye opener for me. And that was enough for me. I realized how, to, because to just stop taking it is is very, uh, I would have been, you know, just on the floor. And from that time forward, I started weaning myself off of it. And I haven't had to take anything. And I don't know if my T3 is still low. And I don't really care, to be honest, because I feel good. So, um, but that was a process. And I just stopped looking at that small little piece and started looking, you know, at what it was that I could have been doing that was affecting my thyroid in that way. And I think that's something that we should all be thinking about. So that was my big preamble. I'm not going to answer any of the more questions about hormone replacement therapy that were asked, not because they weren't good questions, because they were, but because I think I've sort of given you my answer here. I hope that there's something that I've just said that gives you pause for thought and maybe hopefully can be applied to other areas of health concerns because that is the way I approach all of our health. Um, whether I there's something erupting from the skin, a rash, um, maybe fatigue, uh, inflammation, doesn't matter. It's always a moving away and an interruption from, from our body's ability to heal itself. And so we need to find those hurdles that, that need to be removed. And I think that's the way that approaching things has a lasting effect and, and a true uh, effect, a true uh, way to, to regain our health in a robust way. So yeah, I think that's enough of that. And now I'll go on to the rest of the questions.